0: And as we were speaking, I heard like a roaring sort of like engine outside the window. And when we looked outside the window, um, it was like this nice like Maserati and he was driving out. So I was like, nah, I'm not letting this go. So I ran out of the classroom, um, ran through the corridor, down the stairs, um, ran um, through like the reception. Um, The receptionists were looking at me, so I nearly got in trouble ran outside and then he was sort of like leaving and I jumped in front of his car and it was just something in a moment I was like no
1: I'm not letting this guy go and on this week's episode I'm blessed to be joined by the one and only Jeremiah Manuel. Jeremiah <laughs> thank you Jeremiah is an entrepreneur a philanthropist and a public speaker thank you so much for coming on
0: thank you thank you for having me
1: so as we've been discussing for the last 5 minutes my mind is blown when I look at your LinkedIn <laughs> no, I'm you know I know that LinkedIn is only the tip of the iceberg for your whole journey but am I right in saying you started community work at 4 years old
0: Yeah I was like this little minion who sort of tra- tagged along with his mother um so essentially my mother was a youth worker back in the day um and we were sort of just around her me and my two two other siblings Um, and that sort of instilled in me community from a young age. We got involved in something called the Nelson Mandela School Foundation. It was a campaign to build a school in Nelson Mandela's name in Brixton. Mm -hmm. Um, So all in all, the school wasn't built, um, but we were sort of campaigning essentially for like an academy school to be built in Brixton because so many kids had to sort of like travel super, super far far out in order to get into sort of like good schools. but yeah, it was actually hands-on. They got like the kids involved in the campaign. You know, we were writing to local MPs, um, we were lobbying in parliament. We were um, on campaign videos on TV. So that just being the foundation really set me up for everything else that I got into in the future. Wow, I mean, it's incredible.
1: And I think one of the things which like really amazes me about your journey from what I understand is... You know for a lot of entrepreneurs, they start with well, I love building things, like making things happen, and that's the starting point, yeah and I think in later life, they discover purpose and, and you know what what they feel their calling might be, yeah. but to me, it seems like it was actually the other way around, like you know you found your calling, you found that passion, but at that age, you know we're all, all children are narcissists right everything's about us, and everything's about <laughs> me that's that's the reality of being a child right so how come that that landed
0: so much with you? How come that stayed with you throughout I think my brain was wired to helping other people um so again in terms of purpose and even if I was to ask myself what is my purpose I believe my purpose is to help people around me to help the world around me and it was something my mum always used to say to me you know help other people whether or not they're more or less fortunate than yourself um you know growing up I wasn't privileged I, I didn't come from um, a two- parent household. My, my father passed away when I was quite young. Um, and we sort of lived within poverty. like literally, my family was a term that is called hidden homeless. Mm-hmm. So between the age of about four till I was about eleven or twelve, I had moved um, about seven different times. Wow. so so I didn't even have a permanent place. So as a kid, I'm thinking I'm the most privileged person in the world. Like, I've just moved into another house within six months. This house is a bit bigger than the other one. Mm-hmm. We Moved to another Oh, oh, we're in a new area. Um, but I was super desensitised to what exactly was going on. And I feel what got me and my family through that period um, is how courageous, I would say, my mum was that, you know, we were facing such a situation, but she never... Um, you know gave up she always had a smile and she was always about helping other people and I'm sure you know along the years all of the people that my mum has maybe impacted um, some of them probably didn't even know what our family was sort of going through at the time.
1: Yeah I mean that's incredible and I you know I I think uh, again you know to have that level of awareness as a kid is is unbelievable and I think you know it's um, for, for many people in life like it's okay, well, actually, how can I help myself first? And, and that's going to be the priority. And then once I've sorted myself out, then I'm going to get to other people. Um, and is that something which, again, you know, even in those tough moments, that, that's just always been your way of thinking about things?
0: Yeah, a million percent. I think it definitely has its pros and cons. Um, you know, at times, you know, I forgot to sort of like prioritise myself. Mm. I think now where I'm currently at within life, um I definitely put myself first um both in my um physical health, my mental health, my spiritual health. Like um I've just felt that it's super, super important. Um I maybe didn't see it back then, mm-hmm. um, but at least, you know, moving forward, I, I sort of have that understanding now. But um I'm grateful. Um, you know, I've had some incredible experiences, I've met so many people. <laughs> like I have met so many so many people like I often bump into people I might not recognize them mm. and then they remind me of something from years ago even more than 10 years ago um, so I guess that's part of the pros um, but yeah helping people is super important um, but I feel at times in order to be in the best position to help other people you need to be in the best position mm. for yourself
1: Mm, super interesting and i think what you're alluding to with that mind body and soul health as well i think is so important and yeah. the more and more i get to know people and see people who have had amazing impact it's clear that they have to carve out that that level of um you know respect for keeping all of that
0: one, one million percent totally totally
1: um super interesting to hear that you, you mentioned uh sort of spiritual health there what does that that spiritual journey look like for you because for a lot of people and for myself included it was almost like Spiritual awakening had to come before trying to help others. Like that was a big part of it, is realizing, you know, helping others because I'm not gonna claim to have been that person from day one yeah. at all. Um
0: how how did that look for you? Um, so I grew up in a Christian household. Um however, when I really came to terms with it, I had to sort of like question, you know, my relationship with it all. Um so like right now I'm in the middle of something called seventy-five hard. Oh yeah. Um yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm sure you've heard of yeah. it. Literally one indoor workout, one outdoor workout, um, no junk food, um, no cheat meals, no alcohol. Um you had to read read ten pages of a self-development book. How many days any you right now? Um I'm day thirty. Okay. Um, okay. So so I literally didn't tell anyone <laughs> just in case you know I felt that I had to start from the beginning. But part of it um i actually decided to just um read the bible nice. because even though you know i grew up within that sort of household i actually realized like what do i actually know mm. <laughs> like i've i've never read the bible in that way um so i think for me whether someone Like religion, I I sort of don't go into it a lot with a lot of people. I believe everyone can have their own beliefs. Um, But at the end of the day, for me, it was like this is something I've been around for my whole entire life. Let me actually delve into it a bit more. Mm -hmm. I think beyond that, sort of just meditation, Mm -hmm. um, making sure that I'm in a quiet space. And I think what's super important is sort of projecting where you want to go into the future. I think I'd done it a lot when I was a lot younger. I would sort of, like, write down ideas and do all of that, and I sort of lost it along the way. Um, Now I sort of make sure I write everything down, not on a laptop or a phone. I believe there's power in actually using your hands and writing with a pen. It sort of never leaves you. Um, So, you know, it's been sort of just manifesting things that I want to do in the future and the success that I want to sort of, like, come.
1: Wow. Wow. Incredible. And
0: uh, from where I, you know, see things
1: genuinely, I think that um, the people who I know who have been able to really ha- harness that manifesting power of the, the universe is people who are helping others. Yeah. And I genuinely think and I know I don't want to sound you know too much on a, on a tangent here, but I genuinely see that when you have a relationship with the universe, which is, um, you know, take to give. It's amazing, like what happens in that in that circle, right? In that cycle of, yeah. of if you're giving back, the universe will give to you to continue giving back. And I think it's one of the most beautiful ways the universe works.
0: A million percent, a million percent, um, and yeah, I'm still learning every single day. Um, but what we were saying about mind, body, and soul, it's important to have that balance. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I definitely neglected body no to be fair I neglected all of it yeah. you know when you're sort of like doing business and you're super super busy and percent you often forget it so for me it was like cool let me get my body right Um, let me get my mind right but also actually putting the same amount of work into all three mm-hmm. I feel a lot of people feel cool Um, I'll get my mind right by maybe not being on my phone for certain times or I'll get my body right by going to the gym twice a week um, but you actually have to put like the same amount of work into all of those three areas to actually see like a positive effect. I believe anyway. I completely agree. I mean, until twenty four, twenty
1: five, I just saw myself as a mind. You know, I completely neglected the other things. Yeah. Um, and again, getting so busy founding businesses, you know how it is. Um, but I, I couldn't agree more. And you know, we could go down that rabbit hole for a <laughs> long time. So I'm gonna pull us back for a second. Um, so going back to the the start of the journey, one of the youngest ever BMs. Tell us about that and explain
0: what that is for people who might not know. Um, So in 2017, I became the youngest person from an ethnic minority to be awarded in the New Year's Honours list. Amazing. Um, Thank you so much. Um, So for those who don't know, um, there's two lists that sort of come out every single year um, and it's awarded um, by the monarch um, and it sort of starts at BEM, which um, stands for Medalist of the Order of the British Empire. And then it sort of goes out to like MBE, OBE, CBE and the rest. Um, so that that was an incredible, you know, um, opportunity for me. Um, there was a lot of debates around it and you know the connotations mm-hmm. of the, the empire and stuff like that. But the way I really saw it, you know, I, I remember I was in I was in studio with Tan Temple. He's mm-hmm. like a really close mentor of mine and someone who's like supported everything that I do. And I received a call from my mom, sort of saying, you know, there's, um you need to come home. There's like an important letter. Um And then I was like, letter from who? She said the government. So I was thinking, what the hell is going on? What <laughs> trouble am I in? That right? <laughs> would be so my gut problem? reaction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um I remember I went home and what happens is you normally get, um, well, in my case, a letter from the prime minister. Um, no from the head of the civil service okay. saying that the prime minister or whoever that individual is would like to put your name forward for the honours list um, so when I sort of read it I was like what? <laughs> I was sort of confused I was even thinking who nominated me yeah. um, but it was something I felt was important because again the en- environment I grew up in you know I grew up in Brixton, South London um, and I felt like I was literally dreaming within a nightmare um and that actually became the title of my memoir that i released um and you know i sort of grew up in a in a place where we were limited in our view of the world around us we were sort of confined um to a particular sort of space um and that limited you know how we felt we had potential, how we felt we could move into the future. That like, was a really sort of scary environment. And at the same time, I was like super desensitized, mm-hmm. the same as my friends. But for me, it was like, if I can, you know, accept this opportunity and show everyone else in my community that something like this is possible, then it will definitely inspire, um, inspire people like me um, to, to obviously understand that they can achieve whatever they want to. Wow, amazing! And you know, when you're in that
1: environment where you know you're not being shown clearly what is you know possible, what allowed you to have the you know mentality to to say no, there's so much more, and I can get it. You know, what what facilitate in the same way that you're trying to facilitate others and doing a great job of that. What what allows you to see things that way?
0: So I think um, to give context, you know, I started on that early campaign with my mom for about four years. Um, and then following that, when I was 11, I went into something called the UK Youth Parliament, mm-hmm. which is a national organisation, non-partisan, um, that sort of allows um, individual young people to represent their communities. Um, that was an incredible experience. You sort of like take over the House of Commons once a year and a right. televised debate, um, shadow your local MP. Like it's incredible. So I done that. Um, I then became the Young Mayor of Lambeth. Um, the borough that i'm from um and then following that i um set up like my first sort of like project and organization um so i would say as i was going on my journey i started having sort of small entries mm-hmm. into another world that i didn't know existed beforehand um and again going back to that title of my book dreaming in the nightmare you know a story within the book um is is the bus um three four five, the bus route three four five. So it starts in Peckham, it ends in South Kensington. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I stepped on that bus route, you know, I get get on that Brickson it passes through sort of like Clapham. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Brixton is Brixton. or Brixton back then was Brixton sure. back then. Brixton now is very different. Yeah. <laughs> it's very different. <laughs> but um, Brixton back then was Brixton back then. Then you sort of get into Clapham. It's like half Brixton, but half different. And then you go from Clapham, you cross into Chelsea, yeah. you go from Chelsea into South Kensington. And then I remember just viewing the stark contrast, mm-hmm. you know, in my area, there's litter on the floor. There's graffiti everywhere. And it just looked dirty. But by the time I went to South Kensington for the first time, like, it was almost like the streets were paved with gold. Mm. Like, there was no litter. The pavement was, like, completely clean. I'm seeing cars that I only ever saw in Fast and Furious. Um, I'm seeing houses that I actually started calling Doctor Who houses. Because from the outside... They just look like normal houses. But when you actually peek into some of the windows, you see just how vast and massive they are. Mm -hmm. So it was a completely different world. So going back to your initial question, I feel, for me, I was lucky enough to have, you know, certain peaks into that other world um, as I was growing up. And I would say that sort of drove me to want to break down this wall of silence that sort of separated the two worlds. Because, again, you know, there's... Little areas in um, the UK and London, especially where you can walk from one area that is completely poverty stricken Mm. and then walk for about a minute, and then you're in a place where all of the houses are valued at like a million, two million plus. Yeah, we saw a lot of that around um, Grenfell, where you know you actually realize the difference in communities and how close they were together. So for me, it was just like, how can I break down that war? And I think to even summarise, when um, I was growing up, I realised that young people from my environment only meet people from a middle-class or upper-class background in three scenarios. The first scenario, you know, they go to Russell Group Mm -hmm. University. You know, some people from my area have also been fortunate to go to Oxbridge. So, you know, when they sort of mix in those environments, they meet different people. The second is, you know, some go junior or they don't, but they end up in the city or they end up in sort of like a professional um, sort of like role. The third is a young person in the dock in the courtroom speaking to um, the judge for the first time. And that's the first time ever in their whole entire lives they've met someone from a completely different background to themselves. Wow. So when you actually put that into context, you know, a lot of people just don't meet other people and it's a variety of different factors. You could say it's inequality, you could say it's the society that we live in. You could also say that, you know, certain people haven't, you know, um tried to chase opportunities. Um but for me, that was like the most shocking thing where I realized, you know, I'm meeting these people, they're not from where I'm from. They're human beings just like me. So why hasn't anyone else sort of like connected or yeah. crossed paths, if, if, if that sort of makes sense.
1: Yeah, completely. I mean, it's amazing to hear that side of things. And one thing which uh, I find really interesting is that idea of like peaks into another part of society and like realising there's, there's something else than that. OK, how do we tame this? How do we make this happen? And I think obviously now with social media, the way it is, Obviously, I think people from lots of different backgrounds see a different part of life than what they would traditionally have been exposed to on their front door for many, many people, especially with you know Instagram, TikTok, all these things showing the most lavish and like the yeah. most luxurious lifestyles, which a lot of people would argue isn't even reality. But with most peaks into that part of society now happening through social, where there are lots of shortcuts, given to people and sometimes you know riskier ways of trying to make money and do those things how do you um want how do you think people are able to avoid going down the path of trying to get you know shortcuts and and go down the the best the most healthy most productive way to get those things
0: so to be fair social media doesn't really help does it Mm. um you know there's so many things that people see um that make them feel it's easy to sort of get there in life. You've got gurus saying, you know, do this. um, I'm going to give you my life that I currently have. Like, it just doesn't help. Um, I think it's important to understand that hard work is needed in order to get to a particular place in life. Um, But the way I see it is even sort of like working smarter. I think that's super important to sort of recognise. But again... On my journey, if I'm relating it to myself, um, I think I had to realise that I couldn't just sit and wait for opportunities to be presented to me. Um, And I feel there's sort of a conception that at times there may be a lack of opportunities. And sometimes I think that's correct. You know, growing up where I grew up, you know, there were certain opportunities that my friends that went to Eton or they went to Harrow, there's definitely opportunities they received that I never received. But at the same time, if you don't put yourself in a place um, that actually enables you to be presented to these opportunities, then opportunities will never come. Um, and relating it back to what anyone may be doing, you know, I come a lot of, um, across a lot of people that say they want to get into public speaking, they want to get into entrepreneurship, um, but I haven't seen anything on that social media Um, around them work within that area like there's nothing about you doing it online you know there's easy steps that you can take um, to actually get to the positions that you want to get into but if that's not being seen Mm -hmm. then how can you expect for there to be any opportunities if that sort of makes sense
1: completely you got to put yourself out there in order for things to come to you a you know, million percent it's a tree falling in the woods yeah yeah right? yeah no yeah. one's around um super interesting and um, you mentioned your book earlier dreaming a nightmare um it was super interesting reading a bit and listening a bit about your um you know your journey of, of writing that book and, and obviously that being a difficult process yeah um talk us through that a little bit because i think it's such a brave thing at a young age to be able to say i'm going to put everything out there in this way obviously in the you know hope of helping people and showing other people what's possible but just take us through that process So, um,
0: taking it a couple of years back, I remember saying to a careers advisor that I wanted to become an author, um, and I was told, Jeremiah, don't be too overambitious. And I remember hearing that and even thinking back to that, and not saying that necessarily instilled a fire in me to want to become an author, um, but it was almost just something that solidified the fact that, you know... Growing up, where I grew up, you know, if you had certain aspirations, it was just um, seen as impossible. The sort of seen as don't even bother; it's not going to happen. So that was the sort of foundation that I came from. But um, I think the reason the book was super important for me, um, I remember. So during my gap year, I worked at an incredible organisation called Big Change, um, and I worked within the Virgin Group for about a year. and whilst I was there, you know, I was around the table with a couple of friends and colleagues and we were talking about stop and search because mm-hmm. it was super topical in the news at that time. It's always super topical, like, every every year or every couple of years. So I'm there literally sharing my experiences, saying, you know, I've been stopped and searched this many times. Um, it's humiliating. Um, I, I sort of mention the way that I feel... Um, but the way I'm explaining it, you know, I'm just explaining it normally. Like, if me and my friends would have been talking about it, we would have been laughing about certain things. Mm-hmm. You know, there was even a game we used to play where if we were in someone's car um, and we passed, like, a police van on the other side, we would literally count um, <laughs> the amount of seconds and see if they would actually, like, turn around and stop us. Crazy. Certain times they wouldn't, but certain times they actually would. Wow. So me and my friends, we would joke about it a lot. But around the table when I'm speaking about it no one's like laughing or like smiling or like everyone's looking at me in a certain way and I'm thinking did I say something like did I offend you so I remember I shared an example of um, a period of time I think I was in 10 Downing Street receiving an award from the Prime Minister called the Point, Points of Light Award I think I received it when I was like 15 um, and we had a reception, we switched, um, on the Christmas nights in Downing Street. Um, so I'm there with like David Cameron, MPs, decision makers. A couple of days later, I'm in Brixton. Um, I, I get put in the back of a police van because again, I fit a description. Then I've got like half, um, like strip search. Wow. So I remember like sharing that, but everyone's like, what? Like, what the hell? that's not right. So, I think at that moment, for me, I realised two things. Number one, I was so desensitised. Like, I was so desensitised that I didn't realise that as a kid growing up, I should never have had some of the experiences that I had. You know, that conversation I was having was the tip of the iceberg. But when I started thinking about more serious things that me and my friends were affected by, I was like, wow maybe this isn't right, do you know what I mean? And I think the second thing was the realisation that my reality and my everyday, something that is so normal to me, could be seen as a complete nightmare to someone else. And that was the thing that hit me the most, that something that is so normal, not only for me, but for hundreds of thousands of people across the UK, can be seen as a complete, terrible, sort of, like, nightmare. Um, so that was the foundation of the book and that was um, you know where the title Dreaming in the Nightmare came from but also recognising you know my reality may be seen as nightmare but everyone has their own sort of like nightmare in a way you know I remember um, meeting a couple who were super super wealthy and they were telling me the story of one of their friends who was sort of lashing out on them because he was going through a few issues at home Mm -hmm. and he was sort of saying like, you know, you lot have it all, like, you're doing so well, da 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 like, have all of the stress and, you know, they turned around to him and said, you know, well, we haven't been able to bear kids and that to us would be everything and, you know, he was sort of complaining about his current home situation and he was on the brink of divorce with his wife and stuff with his kids so that was their own reality, that someone else's nightmare. Or I remember going to Senegal. Um, I worked work with an incredible organisation called TO.org. Um, and, you know, we went over there. We went to, like, loads of different community projects and charities. And on one of the days of the trip, um, I didn't actually go down, but some of the people on the trip went down to, like, almost like a landfill. And, you know, you're seeing all of this plastic from the West. You're mm. picking it up. You're seeing something that's made in the UK in, in a landfill crazy. in Senegal. Like, yeah. it's just crazy. Um, but then you had a mother with her, like, nine-month-old baby on her back, carrying her around, picking up recycled materials to go and upcycle to make some money. That was her reality. She had a smile on her face but to anyone else, including myself, you know, maybe I've been through what I've been through, but that to me is a complete nightmare. So I think for me, it was just saying, you know, not saying that growing up in Britain was a nightmare, not saying that certain environments are a nightmare, but it's more the realisation that anyone's reality could be seen as a complete nightmare to someone else. Wow, wow, what an incredible story. And um, thank you so much for sharing that. No
1: worries. I mean, it's it's so so interesting to hear that. I think, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, really makes me think about is it's why it's so important that we all see each other as human beings and, and have empathy for each other. Because even though relatively or comparatively, actually someone, you know, if you're gonna weigh things up is in a you know, a, a safer environment, better environment, however you want to term it, but, you know, to live is suffering, right? Um and everyone's going through that own journey and, and, you know, everyone's going through things that they're really, really struggling with. And um, you know, amazing to hear the perspective that you've got and, you know, traveling and seeing and um, that in such like dark, like drastic terms, mm. you know, that the, the difference there. And in terms of that process of like unpacking all the things that you had been through, was that a therapeutic process of writing the book?
0: Yeah, it was. It was really traumatic at times. Mm. Um, and I, I've shared that a lot in a lot of interviews yeah. because you're sort of uncovering a lot of stuff that has been buried um, in your heart, in your mind. Um, you know you're thinking back and there were so many things I even forgot about but I had to you know I, I had to say to myself I'm writing a memoir you know this is about my life let me think back to everything that I've been through but I started uncovering so much I think another part of it for me that was super interesting was that I felt like I got to know my mum for the first time and I feel it's something people take for granted it's like You have to almost ask yourself do you really know that person even though you're close to them it's interesting so i remember sitting down with my mom um, in one of the chapters called home and um learning about her reasons for coming over to the uk she was like a highly qualified lawyer Um, she came from middle class background Um, when she was growing up she her family had a a, a driver Um, she went to private school in Nigeria, but her reasoning for actually moving to the UK was more because she had gone through a traumatic experience that I had no clue. Um, um, I had no clue that ever happened to her, but she went through a really traumatic experience and felt she had to leave to go somewhere new and she came over to the UK. So even that for me, you know, especially when you think about migration, um, think about people move to other countries a lot of the time it's like cool people are going to move to find better opportunities but in her case it was more because she had experienced something dreadful and felt like she had to leave her current environment Mm. um and then even just learning how she felt when she got here because again she was highly qualified but her qualifications meant nothing um Nigeria used to be a colony like all of the laws basically English law um but it wasn't a thing where she could literally just convert that and continue her practice. Really, even though it's the same law. Yeah, pretty wow. much like, um, like, like literally, pretty much. Obviously, different countries, so it's sure. like slightly different. But again, um, you know, she's had to come and then basically start from scratch. Um, so even just delving into that, I think for me, um, not only did I recognise her resilience and just how hard she worked, but I felt I truly got to actually know who she was the first time in my life, 19 years after she gave birth to me. Um, so yeah, that was incredible. But yeah, there was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of like dark days where I had to sort of really dig deep um, and a lot of vulnerability. Mm. Like, I was super anxious when um, the, the book was about That's to come terrifying. out. terrifying. I can only imagine <laughs> it was like so putting that out there. because it's like the way I see the book, like if you read the book, you know who I am. And I was saying to myself, do I want thousands of people to know who I am? Especially when you don't know who they are. (laughs) Exactly. It's pretty unbalanced. (laughs) Exactly. Because I was totally unfiltered. Yeah. Um, I was very vulnerable. Um, I really opened up about a lot. Um, So, yeah, a lot to dig into. And and it was a very sort of like deep
1: period of time. At what point did you feel validated that it was the right thing to being like, okay, because at that point it feels like a risk, right? Like, am I going to you know, harm opportunity by by talking about some of these things. Yeah. Was there ever a point actually where it got to, it was like, okay, that was the right thing to do?
0: Definitely. I think the reaction of mm-hmm. the book, um, you know, I had people that had never read a book in their lives sort of saying, you know, I picked up the book. Some of them, to be fair, said, you know, I don't read, but I got the audio book. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it was just seeing the reaction and the impact that it had. And I think it was important because it wasn't, my story alone um you know so many people could actually relate to a lot of the things that i was talking about um so i think for me when i knew you know this was the right thing to do was really seeing the reaction really seeing the impact and receiving like all of the messages um and just seeing how it literally impacted so many lives around me
1: amazing amazing okay so When I looked, as I said to you before, I looked at your LinkedIn. It's like just (laughs) blows me away, honestly. Uh, And see some incredible names in there, people that you've worked with. See Richard Branson's name, see Bill Gates' name. I mean, tell us about some of those experiences and what did you learn there?
0: Yeah, so I've had some incredible experiences um, along the way. I've met some incredible people. Um, As mentioned earlier, I was a youth ambassador at an amazing, incredible charity called Big Change. Um, which was founded by Sam and Holly Branson Um, and it's all around education Um, you know when I first got involved it was all around you know how can we get young people to not just study for exams but to actually thrive in education and um, that was super important to me because I felt growing up that I never had sort of like a curriculum that prepared me for life Um, but yeah during that experience um, I went on incredible journeys. Um, I, I I participated in something called the Virgin Strive Challenge, um, a super like sort of like endurance sort of like event. Um, what is it? Um, so essentially to raise money for big change, you know, um, a group of incredible individuals come together and go away um, and they participate in a number of different activities from cycling to hiking to kayaking. Um, in, in certain Strive Challenges, there's there's been swimming, swimming, but it, it's it's sort of there to, like, push you to your limit. Um, so the first one I went on was in Morocco. Um, I'm, I was really saddened about everything that happened in Morocco recently mm. um, because I, I felt like I connected with the place in such an amazing way. And, you know, um, even when everything happened, I felt that I had to make some sort of response. And we're working with a few charities at the moment. Um, but, yeah, we essentially... Um, done like a crazy walk and went through the Atlas Mountains. Wow, incredible, Um, sounds amazing. And yeah, an incredible group of people, you know, you had Richard, and then you've got Sarah Blakely, you've got Simon Sinek. Um, Mm -hmm. We were around some incredible people. Um, I think on that journey, um, you know, I had the opportunity to speak when we were sort of like um, at the base camp. And the one thing I touched on was reaching your full potential. And I I sort of stood up in front of everyone and I said to them that in my life, you know, I feel like I've only achieved 3% of my full potential. Hopefully it's a little bit more than that now, but, um, you know, 19-year-old Jeremiah, I've achieved 3% and I sort of said to everyone in the room, you know, you've uh, achieved incredible feats, but you haven't necessarily reached your full potential. Like no matter where you are currently in life, no matter how successful you know your companies are, everyone has more to give. Um, so that to me was really important to say at that time. But yeah, incredible experience working with Big Change. Um, again, super close to my heart. Um, I've I've worked closely with the Gates Foundation as a goalkeeper and ambassador on a program called Goalkeepers, um, and that's incredible. Just doing a lot of work around the sustainable development goals. Um, and that's been incredible um and yeah, like i I've sort of learned to alongside my entrepreneurship to also think about charity, mm-hmm. and I think it's super important um and for me, I just can't function if something I'm working on doesn't include helping other people like I just can't or helping the planet, um so for me. You know, I've been fortunate enough through actually living life that way that I've met some incredible, highly accomplished people. Um, And a lot of people always say to me, oh, my God, like, I see you with this person or that person. But the number one thing that I've learned is, you know, um, everyone's like a human being. And I feel sometimes in celebrity culture or um, fame culture, whatever you want to call it, sometimes we believe some of those individuals are superhuman. Mm. Um, but the one thing that I've I've learned around being around certain individuals is they're just like you and me. Like, they're normal people. They have a normal life. They have a normal family. Um, and, you know, don't feel that people are sort of, like, out of reach and they're, like, just totally not in reach of whatever you're doing. Like, that whole two degrees of separation thing. um, I remember how I got involved in the Gates Foundation was through something that I'd done seven years before. Okay. But someone who was working with them remembered me um, and sort of got me to come along to a focus group they were doing with some activists and some um, entrepreneurs Um, And then I was invited to go to New York um, to to attend goalkeepers and um, have, like, a private dinner with um, Bill that was, like, hosted by Mike Bloomberg. But there was just crazy people around the table. That's a pretty crazy sentence to be able to say. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But that wouldn't have happened if I didn't meet that individual like a couple years before. Mm It's the same thing I was even saying about opportunities. Exactly. You need to put yourself in a position for the opportunities to come to you. Um, But, yeah, I just feel like, again, if someone wants to get to the prime minister or someone wants to get to a CEO of a massive company, they're not that hard Mm -hmm. to get hold of. Like, it may be, in a sense. um, But, again, you're not far off from actually connecting with some of these individuals. Like, even my first business was a youth consultancy agency. Mm -hmm. So we'll go into brands and advise them on connecting with Gen Z audiences, um, focus groups, youth councils we would set up. How I set up that business, I emailed 400 CEOs of FTSE 100 companies. I want you to guess how many responses I received. Um, My guess would be like 15%. Okay, so I received zero responses. Wow, okay. So I remember... After that happened, I sat down with um one of my boys, Daryl, and he sort of said to me, Jeremiah, like you've done this, you've been in downstream. like you've been around, you set up this at a young age. I think it was like um the two days before my seventeenth birthday. Okay. Um so having that conversation and he literally said to me, If you continue emailing it's going to be yes or no. So think about it as a fifty percent chance. But if you stop um emailing, it's gonna be zero percent. Um so literally, like I kid you not, the next day I emailed Warren East, the CEO of Rolls Royce, mm-hmm. um, I believe he's still there. Um, so I emailed him sort of saying, I'm Jeremiah, um, you know, I set up something called the Radio One Youth Council, um, these are the services that I'm offering to businesses and I would love to explore how to sort of work with Rolls Royce. And the guy replied to me the next day, like, I kid you not. Um, So, yeah, again, just, I don't want to go down a mad tangent, but... No, no, (laughs) no, at all. Yeah, again, it's just about um, understanding that a lot of these people are human. Yeah. Um, A lot of these people aren't receiving a million emails a day, not saying they're busy, But you'll be surprised. I remember seeing an interview with um, Mark Cuban Mm -hmm. just saying a lot of people think I wouldn't reply to emails, but I've replied to random emails sometimes. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think it's also an amazing lesson that perseverance is key as well. Right? A lot of people send the first 25 emails, get nowhere, and they're like, right, this isn't going to work. You know, so I think it's such an important lesson for everyone is, you know, no one got anywhere by giving up. Right? You've got to keep on pushing that. A million percent. You mentioned your entrepreneurship before. So tell us a little bit about
0: Raffle. Cool. So Raffle, real authentic fans for life. Mm -hmm. Um, Our sort of like nickname is Pokemon Go for brands. Okay. Um, So again, I worked with so many different companies saying, what should we do on marketing campaigns? And I felt like a lot of the companies i worked with were getting it wrong. Um, You know, you've got social media marketing um, and there's super low engagement rates. Um, I came across um, a shocking stat I think yesterday, and it said that 99% of Gen Z would skip an ad if they had an option to skip it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What? 99%?" Um, so it's like social media doesn't necessarily always work or have that impact. You know, there's something called influencer fatigue. Um, out of home is super like difficult to track. You know, you can say this amount of people are gonna pass this billboard every day, but how many of them actually interact with it? Mm-hmm. Um and like stuff like radio and TV, it's all the same, there's a massive decline. So I wanted to create something that I've called sort of like gamified marketing and I wanted to find a way to extend these campaigns but bring them to life in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um so I thought augmented reality, a tool that is actively out there. Um, it's had its hype. Certain people might say it's died down. You saw the whole metaverse thing. <laughs> Once Apple released their that, that headwear, though, that's going to yeah, change Yeah, people are started yeah. talking ab- about it again. Um, but for me, it was, how can I actually extend the campaigns and bring them to life in the real, real world? And what actually brought all of my thinking together was drop culture. Mm-hmm. So you look at brands like Supreme, who created this crazy sort of fan culture in which, you know, they've created scarcity in order to, you know, sort of artificially create demand. Um, And then you've got brands like Cortez, which Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with, and you see what Clint is sort of doing. And I sort of said, you know, this is all experiential marketing. I want to create a tech platform that can embody this and that can sort of extend all of these campaigns. Um, So, yeah, in the name Pokemon Go for Brands, we essentially put on activations outdoors, where people sort of run around globally, um, they interact with AR sort of 3D models, mm-hmm. um, and if they are successful in capturing them, they receive some sort of reward or prize from the brand that they're interacting with. Very cool. Um, so we're sort of tackling number one vouchers, mm-hmm. and we're tackling competitions. Um, so you see a competition like Molly Mae on Instagram, she had like 3 million entries got in tons of trouble yeah I remember (laughs) yeah so my whole thing is there's thousands of Instagram competitions every day but what if you turn that into working with a creator getting people to actually actively leave their houses and go outdoors to actually engage with the brand because that now increases that engagement rate to 100% like people are willing to get out of their bed on Saturday morning to engage with you exactly Uh, so that's the first thing. And the second thing is um, we're building something super, super special. Um, think augmented reality, group Um But essentially, we are working with retailers to figure out how people can sort of redeem rewards um, and sort of like take them in store to sort of redeem. So rather than the one-off activations, um, let's say, I don't know, Arsenal FC, we're going to give away signed jerseys or hospitality tickets. So rather than doing like the... Odd activation, We sort of want to create an environment where every day as people are navigating, um, they can sort of interact with brands, redeem vouchers, go to the till, sort of like scan your barcode and receive discounts and stuff. Very cool. I'm super yeah, excited wrap- to see that. Yeah, thank amazing. you. Thank and are you
1: doing that as a solo founder? you got a co-founder on that? Um, solo, solo. How are you um, finding that journey?
0: Um, it's been interesting, um, but I have like an amazing team around Mm -hmm. us um my co-founder that was involved had to step back due to like unforeseen like family circumstances uh, yeah it was a bit unfortunate but um yeah it's been an incredible journey so far you know we're still early um but again we've gained a lot of traction um just because again the whole opportunity thing meeting people in the past um making sure that what I'm doing now aligns with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, we're looking to launch in Q one next year. But sort of between now and then we'll be doing like f- loads of fun and, and cool sort of like activation. So amazing. I'm excited to see it. Thank you. Chairman, I've got a f- few questions for you to yeah. ask
1: everyone. So my first question for you is what is the single biggest risk you've ever taken and what was the outcome?
0: Okay, so seeing as we're sort of in the city, um, I think I can, like, like his office is sort of behind there, but essentially I was um, sitting in the back of a classroom in college and a guy walked in with the assistant principal. It was, like, an empty classroom, just me and, like, my two, like, favourite teachers, um, Miss Borland and Miss Henry. Like, I didn't even study their subjects, but they would always, like, give me space and stuff, like, incredible women. Um... So, yeah, a guy walked in with the assistant head teacher and um, he was looking trim, nice suit. I was thinking, this guy ain't a teacher. Um, But I was sort of overhearing them and, um, you know, the assistant head teacher was saying, you know, this is Maduka. He is um, a former student. He grew up in the area. Now he's um, grown a massive recruitment firm in the city. So I remember hearing it. And then he left the room. And then I went up to Miss Borland and Miss Henry sort of saying, oh, I wish I spoke to that guy. I wish I actually, like, engaged in a conversation. It was super interesting. And then they were like, oh, Jeremiah, you should have spoken to him, whatever, whatever, whatever. So that was, like, the last stop of the tour that he was having. And as we were speaking, I heard, like, a roaring sort of, like, engine outside the window. And when we looked outside the window... Um, It was, like, this nice, like, Maserati, and he was driving out. So I was like, nah, I'm not letting this go. So I ran out of the classroom, um, ran through the corridor, down the stairs, um, ran um, through, like, the reception. Um, The receptionists were looking at me, so I nearly got in trouble. Ran outside, and then he was sort of, like, leaving, and I jumped in front of his car. and. It was just something in the moment. I was like, no, I'm not letting this guy go. So when I jumped in front of his car, it wasn't as dramatic as that. Like, I, I didn't get run over, but it was more just literally rushing in front of his car and just asking him for a minute. And I went to the window, and then I immediately intro myself. I said, I'm Jeremiah. You know, I've been involved in youth politics. Um, I'm really interested in entrepreneurship, and I'm super inspired by your story. I would love to stay in touch. Um, And then he was, like, super impressed. He was, like, this is, like... Love the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He was, like, take my email. Took his email. I emailed him. And, um, you know, I think, like, a year later, I was working on a project. And we started building our relationship from then. So he used to have his offices in the Gherkin. I remember going there for the first time. Like, it was crazy. Um, and it we just got to know each other and built like a really strong relationship and he became a mentor and then um, when I was like 17 or 18 he invested like 15k into like one of my projects All I was right. working on so that to me was like very sentimental and it will always be in my heart because I recognize if at that moment I didn't just click and I didn't go for him and, and to go and speak to him not only would that be a relationship I never would have had, um, but it just goes to show that sometimes you have to do it in a moment. Yeah. Life is full of these sliding door moments. And if you miss it, you never know where that exactly, could have led. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So it's, it's super interesting. And um, thanks for sharing that as well. <clears throat> so now that you're, you know, grand old age 24, and do you feel like there's pressure now, considering you are where you are? And the opportunities that you take in is it a constant case of, okay, i got to take every opportunity. Are you now at a stage where it's like, okay, well, I need to actually prioritize because you can't take every opportunity.
0: Like how do you manage it at this stage? So I feel over the years, there was a mixture of two things. The first thing was that I felt I had to do multiple things to bring in income. So again, the sort of like situation I was in growing up, um, My whole reasoning was, let me do a million different things that I'm interested in, and then whatever starts paying first starts paying first. Okay, nice. That was the first reason I had. I think the second thing was, after I sort of left that, I dropped a lot of the stuff I was doing, but I was still doing a lot, and I felt there was a bit of pressure. You know, the fact that pretty much every single year since I was 11 years old, there's been something, like some sort of milestone or something that has happened. Um, so, like, it's so funny, like, literally from 23 to 11, you're literally going to find a newspaper article of me from every single year. So I think for me, there was, like, this pressure, like, not 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 in the vanity sense, more in the sense of, I can't let everyone down. Mm. Like, what, what am I going to do next? Um, so there was also that pressure I sort of had. But I think I'm in a place now where number one I've had to tone down a lot of the stuff that I was doing um however incredible they were and I came to the realization you know it's about just putting time into something you know I've seen that with raffle I literally put 18 months putting my head down um lost a lot of income revenues um revenue streams sorry because I couldn't put my attention into other things, and I really had to make that sacrifice. Um, so for me, it's actually starting to pay off now. Yeah. Um, but again, it's like I really had to get to that point where I'm like, no, put your head down, focus on one thing. I think the other thing is don't care about what other people think because they're probably not even thinking it anyway. Great so advice. the example that I gave about the whole I've got to do something every single year I think I just said to myself, like, Jeremiah, just relax. Um, You're 24 years old. I think that's even another thing. You think about age and no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, a lot of people think about age and, oh, am I in the right place? Mm -hmm. Could I be further? Are there things that I've missed? Um, And I feel for anyone watching this who is, like, maybe a teenager or a bit younger, don't rush don't feel like you have to rush. And maybe, you know, your example of Instagram earlier was a bit of me. Like, I've never been a materialistic guy. I've never really cared about having particular things. But I maybe cared about being a being in a particular position. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, you need to lay the foundations. You actually need to build towards it. You need to work hard. And I think I'm at a point where I've super super realized it so yeah i'm sort of like slowed down i don't feel pressure and i've this is the best space that i've ever been in in my whole entire life and it goes back to the mind body and soul stuff Mm -hmm. it goes back to the remaining focus um and it goes back to again not caring about other opinions a lot of the times when we think about what other people are thinking of they're probably not even thinking it in the first place. And even if they are, don't bother. Like, you don't need to get validation from anyone apart from yourself. It's incredible advice. And you're right, everyone's so bogged down in what they're worried
1: about for themselves. Like, it's even if people are thinking something about you, it's a fleeting moment, right? Yeah. And we shouldn't be living our lives based on trying to live up to an expectation that may or may not exist on us. But it's tough, right? It is tough. Yeah. My next question for you is what are you
0: proudest of? And that's gonna be a difficult question for you. Um I think the the thing that was an important moment for me was um when Richard Branson basically like surprised my mum on FaceTime. Sorry, sweet, sweet. Oh good. <laughs> Richard Branson basically surprised my mum on um FaceTime. So to give context, as I was growing up, um, similar to a lot of people from like a West African household, I would say, my mom would literally use so many people as examples. So it could be the pastor's daughter, it could be the cousin who just graduated, it could be oh this person's getting married, or um, yeah this guy um is now doing his masters. He's do so my mom would always give examples, but. One of the examples she would touch on a lot was, like, Richard Branson. She was like, look at Richard Branson. Look at what he's been able to do with Virgin, you know. Um, He's doing this, he's doing that. And she'll give examples of, like, loads of different people. So she was obviously aware um, around some of the work I was doing. um, But I just thought, as a kind gesture, what if I FaceTime her and then Richard's on the phone? So, yeah, we made it happen and... um, she was like overjoyed and um you know to have someone like him speak about me to my mom that that was like the the proudest thing ever and for me it was just for her to understand that all of her hard work had sort of meant something um which I felt was super important so that that was a very like significant moment to me
1: that's incredible. Yeah, I can only imagine how that felt being able to, you know, just be in that environment and just, I can only imagine the look on your mum's face picking up FaceTime yeah. at, that, at that point. Um, incredible, incredible. Okay, my next
0: question for you is what does it take to be successful? What does it take to be successful? Um, I think that question can be answered in so many ways. I think number one, Um, You know, you can give business advice, you can say you need to do this or that, um, but I'm mind, body and soul. That's me right now. And I feel in order to be successful, that is like the foundation that you have to lay. um, Before thinking about a business idea or if you're thinking of um, if you have a startup and you're thinking about scaling up or raising or if you want to go into a particular field before moving forward with any of that, you know, you need to equally put in time and energy and work into those three areas. Um, I think the second thing that is super important for me is the understanding that... I'm thinking about the whole opportunity thing again Mm -hmm. where it's like you can't just wait, you can't just sit here, and hope for the best um like you actually have to put in actions um something that I always say during like public speaking is um change is a word but we need it to become an action and what I mean by that is you know we always talk about change you know I want to have a change in my life or I want to be successful I want to be this or that but you can't just talk about change like you have to change that word into an action. Like you have to put in the actions to actually get to that point. And one thing I say to like I had a conversation yesterday with a young person that I mentor and he said, you know, I'm I'm feeling a bit lost. And I said to him, number one, I've been in that place so many different times. But number two, let's lay everything out on the table. So we laid everything out on the table and then I essentially said to him, you know, before saying there's no opportunities out there or before saying it's hard and that you can't be successful, you truly within yourself, you have to feel and you have to know that you have exhausted every single route possible to get into where you need to get to. And even with myself sometimes, have I truly exhausted every single possible angle, have I truly put in all of the work that I know I need to put in? A lot of the time, I haven't. Mm. So when we were having that discussion, I was sort of saying, you know, he had a service that he wanted to give to businesses and I said to him, okay, you already have your portfolio. What you need to do moving forward, you need to treat this as a nine to five. So what I mean by that is, in a week, even if you say Monday to Friday, Friday, from 9am in the morning, you're creating your pitches, mm-hmm. you're creating your lead generation, um, you're creating your contact list, um, and from 9 to 5 every single day, you're literally emailing as many people as you can email every single day, 9 to 5. And I essentially said to him, cool, right now we're talking like this, and we're saying maybe there's not enough op- opportunities for you, um, you know, the economy is the way it is, but if you have truly embodied all of that, if you have truly gone to your limit and then at that point, there's no opportunities, then maybe you're in the wrong space at yeah, that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But before you've actually gone to that point where you can say, all right, cool. Yeah. Jeremiah today, I've emailed 30 people. Um, I've reviewed all of these TikTok accounts. I feel I can do better. So I've created this short form content to pitch until you've, truly exhausted every single angle you cannot expect <laughs> you cannot expect there not to be opportunities yeah. so again to be truly successful for anyone that wants to be successful you have to give it your all if that means you need to put your head down for 6 months for 12 months if that means you have to sacrifice certain things to put time into what you truly believe in you have to make sure that you have truly given it your all until you're exhausted, until you feel like you can't even do any more. Um, and with that resilience, um, you will definitely become a success. It's
1: incredible advice. And I think one of the really important things there, which I take from what you're saying is, you've also got to uh, learn to not have fear of rejection. Yeah. Because you're going to get
0: rejected a, a million a lot, percent, <laughs> right? A million percent. <laughs> re- re- remember what I said, 40 emails. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a single response. Um, rejection will happen. And at the end of the day, what I say is business is business. Like, never take business personal. And, like, don't get me wrong, there's actually been times I took business personal in the past. And it's just like, nah, like, just move on to the next thing. If anything, the people you're pitching to are the ones that are missing out. So if there's rejection next swing, next swing, next swing, next swing, next swing. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think it's also such great advice because I see with a lot of founders, especially in the tech space, for example, is they'll want to do that head down 18 months just building the product because they actually have that fear of saying, well, what if no one likes it? What if Mm -hmm. people don't respond? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you should start putting it out there, trying to make opportunities happen day one. Day Even before the product's ready, start lining things up, right? Day one.
0: Even if you can get a landing page up, Um, even if you create a social media page and, and you're just putting out content to see what um, to see how people react um, but yeah, it's the same for founders um, like I've learned a lot in this journey because again, I've had businesses in the past mm-hmm. but I wouldn't call myself a founder in the way that people talk about founders like this is the first time that number one, I've gone into a space that um, was kind of new to me um, in, in terms of tech um, and secondly, just understanding, yeah, the, the the little things matter. So exactly what you just said, like, I think I had to get to a point where rather than just building things and assuming things, I had to actually start building it alongside my potential clients. Mm-hmm. So just little things like that that are super, super important. Yeah, 100%. All
1: right, my last question for you is,
0: 15-year-old Jeremiah walks in the room right now. What are you going to tell him? this is always a tough one. Um, and I feel my, my my answer changes every time I answer this um, question. To my 15-year-old self, I would say live a little more. Um, the one thing that I do regret, and I think we sort of touched on it, I can't remember if it was before we started or after, but I'll (laughs) I'll recap it. But essentially, um, the number one thing for me is, as I wanted to help so many other people, I didn't think about myself. And because of circumstances at home, because of circumstances within my environment, and because of circumstances around all of the work that I was doing back then when I was young, I didn't necessarily have that teenagehood or that childhood that I I really wanted. I, f- I felt like I skipped a couple of chapters, <laughs> um, if that makes sense. So to to my 15-year-old self, you know, a lot of the time you could say, yeah, work harder, find more opportunities, do this, do that. But I think it's really important to live a little, like taking the world around you when you're that age. Um, and as you're growing older um and I feel you know this whole mindset that a lot of people have you know everything's segment segmented into blocks you know you've got your education um you've got secondary school college go to university if you want to go to university go and get a job after university if you want to get a univers- um if you want to get a job after university um and to my 15 year old self i w- I would say just Don't involve yourself in that process. Just do what you feel is right and live a little um, because these years are precious um, and you will never get them back. Um, So live for yourself and um, live a little bit more.
1: Love that. Thank you so much. Jomar, where can people find you?
0: Um, You can find me at je1bc on Instagram. The same on Twitter. I believe the same on TikTok. Um, the same on LinkedIn. <laughs> I think. Um, and you can find out about raffle at raffleworld um or www.raffleworld.com. and raffle is spelt R A F F L. So raffle without an E. Amazing. we we'll also have the links below. Perfect. Well.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for watching the episode and if you haven't subscribed, please hit subscribe below so that you can support the podcast and we can keep on bringing you amazing new guests. If you want to see the other amazing episodes in this podcast, click into our series section. As ever, if there are any other guests or topics you want us to explore, just
0: let me know in the comments and we'll do our best to bring someone in.